Hello, and welcome to episode 190 of Effect. Dragons and Demons. Definitely not in English. I'm Dave, as always. And I'm Matthew. And, uh, yes, 190 episodes, Dave. I know, what are we doing? 190. We're just 10, 10 episodes, which is about 20 weeks away from from episode 200 so that'll be <laughs> oh really in the new year really i could yeah. ne- i could never have worked that one out for myself you know <laughs> well mm, i'm the master mathematician 200 minus podcast. 190 is but yes it's a fair point it's a fair point yeah uh, two, uh, yeah 200 episodes bloody how many hours of drivel is that <laughs> it's quite a lot of hours of drivel <laughs> yeah is. but i said some good stuff <laughs> did you which episode was that in i missed it Oh, well, it was the episode, um, well, for a start, it was one last week that you weren't in. Oh, no, you were. Sadly, we had to include your bits as well. Yeah. But um, anyway, this episode has got lots of new stuff in it. Uh, We are going to be talking about the news that's uh, picked us up from the world of gaming, or picked us up. We've picked up, I think. I think we've picked up. It might have picked you up. It might have done that too. We We know how loose your morals are, you know. And then all the talk is about... Drakkar Octimana and Dragonbane, as uh, the English language version is going to be. I, do, I, do, now, I think I think I have to initially immediately pull you up because I think the way you're pronouncing Drakkar Octimana is is not the way ahead. is not the way every Swede pronounces it. So you've been calling it Drakkar Octimana or Dimona, and I think it's. No, I'm, I'm going Drakkar Octimona. Demona. <laughs> We're talking about me now. Draca Dr- Demona. Yeah. Something like that. I kind of right. lost track okay. of well, Anyway, no. I wanted You're the to one ju- that's married to a Swede. I wanted to just give you a uh, hard time over your over your pronunciation, that was all. And I've done that. So um Well, you know what? <laughs> a lot of people are very unhappy that it's got a different English title. And um we are demonstrating why they have created an English title. Well, at least one of the reasons why, yeah. One of the reasons. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and uh, yeah, so what else is in but the we'll show find, then, Matthew? Because there's, there's something. We'll find all the other reasons when we interview Thomas Harumstram. <laughs> Heronstam. Oh, Heronstam. Heron. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Heronstam. <laughs> anyway, we, we're we talking to him later uh, in an interview we recorded on Monday. He's doing the rounds. Do you remember when we started this 190 episodes ago? Nobody wanted to talk to the team of Free League except for us. No, and I now know. he's on all sorts of shows. He's on Dark Orb. He's on On Tabletop. He's everywhere. I know. Anyway, um, do, do, do we're we very f- pleased to have feel, him here. Do we feel slighted to the fact that he doesn't come straight to us first? No, no, because he only comes when we interview, but generally he comes every time we interview, except that one time that we requested an interview and he wouldn't do it for reasons connected with this game. <laughs> which will all become clear later on if you haven't worked it out already or remembered the episode because I'm sure we've said before I'm sure it's a year ago you remember it come on it's only a year ago exactly not much has happened in that year is it so roughly uh, 25 episodes give or take your your encyclopedic memory dear listener will remember the incident very well that we reported um Anyway, uh, shall we move on? Yeah. Let's move on to just say there are no new patrons this time, sadly. sadly. We got one or two last time. Still haven't worked out whether we got that second one, but 
But anyway, um, <laughs> this time a thank you goes out to all our patrons because you keep us honest, you keep us independent, and um, yeah, you keep us on air. So thank you very much. To and all yeah, our patrons. You, you, you keep us from from dubious uh, sponsorship deals with what was the one that you were looking at with 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 manscaping manscaping was. that was it. i know it wasn't mansplaining yeah. i was thinking it can't be mansplaining that's i can't be right <laughs> man spreading man what was it called again well the, the what the the, the advertising yeah. manscaping was manscaping was, you know yeah, stuff yeah. you could shave your balls with and stuff like <laughs> yeah, that exactly. you thank god patrons you have saved us from having to shave our balls <laughs> on live on the show each other's balls probably it would have been it would have been an entirely different show only if i could package them and send them to you anyway that's enough of that maybe i'll edit some of this out later on because maybe you will uh but i just want to say just in case you don't that actually i'm sure it'd be jenny that was packaging them and (laughs) that's true yes well she does have complete and utter ownership of them so they're on a jar downstairs somewhere so uh, yeah. shall we move on now to more <laughs> salubrious content? I'd like to, yeah, I'd like just to apologise. I'm at the end of COVID, so I'm still feeling a little bit tired and lightheaded. So um, uh, please excuse any comment I might make on this podcast uh, for that reason. Ah, yes, exactly. I don't, I don't lightheaded what, I, is the word. I don't know what Matthew's excuse is, but that's mine. I'm just a pervert. <laughs> that's true. I would. I didn't want to say that, you know, live on air, but um, obviously you yeah. don't. You don't mind so much. Yes. Anyway, what's so, what's in what's what are we talking about now? Well, the big news um, in the world of role playing games uh, <laughs> is uh, the Monty Python RPG. Yeah. I, oh, I've got, yeah okay. Um, <laughs> which. Um, which I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, give you its full title because, according to all the blurb, it's definitely not an RPG. It is Monty Python's co-curricular medieval reenactment program. Yes. Um, well, now did... I sent you an article on it, which I, I, I don't think either of us have read. No, I did. I flipped through the article. Um... All right. Yeah. <sighs> So, so I guess my my initial res- re- response is: Is there nothing sacred that somebody won't try and make a bloody RPG out of? Sorry, you know this. The, Monty Python is just too sacred. You know these men died for us frequently. <laughs> frequently. <laughs> and here, here we've got this third-rate role-playing game coming out. I'm sure it's got someone going around clipping Spanish waiters' ears in a torbay. Uh, hotel. Uh, uh, yes. Um, Sorry, riffing off uh, not an article news but, there. But, you know, Monty Python is, to us English at least, a religion. When three or more are gathered together, Pythonism, then they exactly. shall perform the parrot sketch. It is a, it is a, it's a dead parrot. It has ceased to it be. It has ceased to be. <laughs> yes. Um, um, yeah. So do we need a role-playing game from Monty Python? I mean, I had a little. Well, I'm kind of intrigued by. Um... Well, okay, let let let's go through the pros and cons. Uh, 
given that a number of role-playing sessions that you and I have been in have sometimes descended into mm -hmm. a festival of Monty Python quotes. Anyway. Or, <laughs> yeah, for people of your generation, a festival of uh, not the nine o'clock news jokes, many of which are not nine o'clock news quotes where they pastiche uh, Monty Python, which yeah. is what we just did, you and I, Dave. <laughs> Since role-playing games become Monty Python quote fests anyway... Where's the problem in having a Monty Python role-playing game? So, so I had a little look at the uh, at the blurb in that article, and you know they're they're focusing on uh, kind of one shots really, and they are intending to create. A, oh yeah, as it were, I'm convinced. Yeah, <laughs> um, and they're intending to create a toolbox whereby you have situations and the character you have depends on the situation that you're setting up for your particular story or scenario. And, um, yeah, I, so, so I think for me, I mean, you know me, I, I tend to prefer the actual role-playing element, the game, the story element to, to have a slightly serious edge. Cause I then, enjoy getting into the character and the story a lot more than if it's entirely frivolous. Kind of one of the reasons why I never really liked Paranoia too much, because it felt too frivolous, because it didn't matter if you died, you just brought, brought your new clone out. Yeah. So I'm not a huge fan of frivolous role-playing games, in the games designed to be frivolous. Now, frivolity is a huge element of all of our games, but that's mm -hmm. more, that's actually more to do with us than the game itself. So I... Yeah. So I do worry, I fear that having a game that is a is is trying to reenact or recreate the Monty Python feel at the table is likely for most groups anyway to fall a bit flat because we're not Monty Python. <laughs> so we, we you know Yeah. Um so if someone goes into it thinking there's gonna be a great funny scene here that's gonna have us in stitches the whole time you might be sadly disappointed more often than not, I guess would be my concern. Yeah. Um, uh, Systemizing humour doesn't necessarily seem like a good thing to try and do. And I think there have been a number of humorous role-playing games. You know, you've just mentioned probably the most successful one mm. in Paranoia. Um Toon did a pretty good job. Well, I was going to mention uh, Toon. Toon was a, was a game I actually really enjoyed. But going mm. into that, there's no there's no pretense you're going into that as a role playing game because you're playing a cartoon character, and I yeah. so I, I kind of that works for me in in that kind of frivolity. But we didn't play it much, and I enjoyed it, and I wouldn't want to play it week in week out. No, no, I can't see a campaign of this uh, going for very long. Um, one of the things that I'm kind of intrigued by is uh, the 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 GM is known as the head of light entertainment, which <laughs> yeah, is yeah. absolutely hilarious for those of us who um, live in a country where there is a national broadcaster who has a head of light entertainment. I'm not sure how it's going to catch on around the world. I guess most Monty Python fans are possibly going to know about that sort of TV culture. But he's assigned yeah. in this article one of 20 different personalities from a sports mechanic or a stuffy historian or a member of parliament. Um, so he plays a character as well. Um, yeah. I Going back to other humorous role-playing games, uh, 
an interesting one that I have played, or I haven't played, actually, I've read, and it was a damn fine read. And I think, to be mm-hmm. honest, a lot of humorous role-playing games are actually more fun to read than they are to play. But I would recommend, possibly, if you're interested in this, going instead uh, to the Baron Munchausen role-playing mm. game, which is essentially the rules are sit round a table and tell wacky stories to each other. That's it. That's the rules. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, all for, I'm all for a narr- narrative game. I think you know, the narrative games that I really enjoy are things like Ten Candles and Fiasco. Fiasco does a really good job, actually. Of of bringing mm. out the humour in the way that you you play the game, um, but still you're kind of telling a initially at least I guess I mean serious is the wrong word for fiasco, but you're telling a story that is um, uh, not too fantastical I guess, and you're not put on the spot to be funny, and I feel mm. that a game like Monty Python or maybe Baron Munchausen one when you're narrating your part of the story, you might feel the pressure to be funny. And, you know, yeah. with the best one in the world, most of us aren't John Cleese or Eric Idle or Terry Gilliam or, you know, Rowan Atkinson or whoever, no. Richard Curtis. And we can't pull those kind of great things out of, you know, out of the air. So I, again, I come back to that concern that it might just fall a bit flat and people trying to be funny when it's not really... When it's not well, really and of course, and of course, the the easiest way to be funny is um, to rip the piss out of you or our patron Andy Brick or whoever. So, you know, there's a danger that the funniness could become a kind of punch down thing as opposed kind to of, a, a bit of, yeah, it just becomes bullying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. we're not funny, you and I, but we 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 do take the piss out of our colleagues quite a lot. Um, we do, and each other, obviously. Uh, well, that, it's all that. an act. Obviously, we love each other deeply, but. Um, but but those kind of jokes never seem to get old, unlike <laughs> yeah, unlike no, unlike yeah, us who do. <laughs> do seem to get old. Uh, but they yeah. are cruelty based. Well, speaking about yourself, <laughs> do you know my son's a model? Um, <laughs> they are, no, they I, are, aren't they? But yeah, between friends yeah. who've been friends for forty years, then that can be okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. that can be okay. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. Mean, okay, I sobbed myself to sleep after one of our shows, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> So I I think we've run out of stuff to talk about for um yeah Monty I won't, Python, I, won't except... be, I won't be buying it anyway let's put it that way right no I might be a bit curious in it when it comes out my hope is that it goes right through funny because of course um Terry Jones was quite the medievalist yeah so is there in there a bunch of real medieval history which um you know as 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 it lays out as it portends to be not a uh, not an RPG, but a co-curricular reenactment experience. You know, could there actually be at the heart of it a really good medieval role-playing game? Maybe. We'll wait and they, see. Well, they are. They have said in the in the article I was reading um, that the 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 core, the basis, the, the the sort of the central element of this is Monty Python um, and the Holy Grail. So they are starting with that as their kind of baseline. Um, mm. Quite how that works, I don't know, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, yeah, I guess we will. Um, what's next on the list? Oh, yes. What did you did you see? Um, Wizards of the Coast apologising again. I did for something they um, didn't think about again. I did see that. I never having played Spelljammer, which is the game in question, and never know, not knowing what the uh, particular 
race in the game, the Hexama? Is that what they're called? Something like that. Uh, I can't remember. Um, Not knowing any of the context, I obviously had to ask others. Um, But yeah, it does seem a bit off beam. (laughs) Really, kind of. uh, I'm not best placed to explain what the issue actually is, but it's something to do with uh, what is effectively a, a white, more powerful race uplifting a race of monkeys, is that right? Into mm-hmm. semi-sentience that they then use as slaves, something like that. Is that right? Yeah. Um, which I think fully sentient. I think fully sentient. Right. Yeah. I mean, you've been playing uh, Coriolis too long if you think they're semi-intelligences, as is as we regard uh, right. the uh, yeah. Hecalibri and, and, and the and people there. But even even in Coriolis, they don't treat the semi-intelligences as slaves. Well, meh, except for the ones they get fighting in. And uh, in 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 cage battles and things like that, it's probably a bit dodgy. I mean, I'm I'm sure at some point somebody said this is okay because we want to, you know, the slavery was in the past and we want to acknowledge slavery in the past or something like that. But um, I just don't think I think when you're D and D, there's going to be you've got to think about these decisions and there's no mm. need. For an, even an uplifted race to be a slave race, whether or not they've been emancipated since, there's just no need for it, I feel. And maybe it was in the rules 20 years ago when they first brought it out. But, you know, we're, we're, we're in the 21st century now. They could have, with a little bit of thought, they could have said, let's have a look at our audience. Let's not do this. Mm. So I think there is, there, is, anyway. there, is, there is definitely something there, though, because I think... Um... Yeah, there, there's. I don't think game designers should be forced to shy away from what are potentially contentious or difficult issues in the design of their game, because if you do that, no. you'll then just have totally bland, like you know, cornflakes all yeah. the time, and it's just, just I mean, rubbish. Uh, you know, but there is a way of you know, there's a way of going about. We're doing it. a Wild West game. We're we're going to have to acknowledge the slavery inherent. In the past of the Wild West, yeah, exactly. Um, we yeah. shouldn't show it, but, I, but you know, these are, this is a this is a pure fantasy game. There's nothing you have to acknowledge there. Um, no, and you didn't need it. Um, yeah, really. Yes, yeah, um, so I, I, you know, so I don't know. And then to make them monkey people as well. It kind yeah, of, you think oh, there are quite you know, a lot of I mean, mistakes piled upon mistakes. Ge- gelatinous blue blobs or something like that. Uh, I think nobody would kind of go, well, look at, you know, look at what they're obviously talking about there. Yeah. But monkey people, for God's sake. I it, mean, yeah, know. yeah. I mean, is there, is there anything in the context or the history in that that is, you know, could in any way be, be taken as, as um, justifying that part of their history? Or is it just... Just, just as it seems on the surface. I mean, obviously, Wizards well, of the Coast I, have, have apologised, um, kind of for it. Uh, so yeah. I guess not would be the answer to my own question. I mean, I, I, being without having read it myself and not really wanting to, um, yeah, I guess charitably you might say maybe they've made the big bad evil guy race be the slavers in this just to tell everybody that they're the big bad evil guy race. Yeah. Um, but you know that's that's 
potentially the only justification you get for it and you know and i'm not sure that's the case no no okay no so um yeah i guess good that they've apologized i have read some bits that that suggest that it's the apology could have been more fulsome but i haven't actually read the apology itself so i can't uh, i can't really comment on that but again good that they've recognized it as an issue and the fact that it's not going to be in any future publications and I think it's going to be removed from their PDF versions straight away. I think it already has been. Yeah. I think that was one of the one of the things actually that riled people up is they noticed it. It disappeared out of the PDFs, but I think of course it exists still in the recently in... printed stuff. Yeah. There we yeah. Go. Moving on to happier things, Dave. You have some happy news. <laughs> well, it's news that makes you very happy, at least. Yeah. Well, I think it's tomorrow. Actually, is um, the day that the uh, Kickstarter kicks off for the new Kingmaker board game. Which is great, because I've got the old... I think I mentioned it on, on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, or a couple of episodes ago. I've got the old version still. Me and the boys still dust it off and play it really regularly. It's great fun. Um, I was actually thinking, oh, wouldn't it be great to to do an updated version of Kingmaker? <laughs> and then, lo and behold, a couple of weeks later, up comes on Facebook, Kingmaker, um, Kickstarter coming up. So... If you're interested in Kingmaker as an old board game, um, War of the Roses board game where you, you control a faction, um, you get a, a hand of cards at the start and that will give you a number of nobles. It will give you control of certain towns, certain castles. It will give you some... Um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, not. I don't know that? what you call it. It's not like peerages. Like, um, what do you call them? There's another name for it. No, I'm, 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 Honor. I'm, honors. I'm, anyway, so but so you'd get things like the Duke of Northumberland. You could then give that to one of your one of your nobles who isn't right. A duke. Yes. So so you and get you, some noble families and you get some titles. Titles, titles. is what you're looking. Thank for. you. That's the word I'm looking for. Bloody bloody COVID. Um, but it's great fun. So you build your faction up. You then have to go and uh, take control of either the king or an heir to the throne, and then make sure that your heir is crowned and any pretenders. Um, are no longer for this world. And it's great fun. It's a brilliant game. I hope they... There, there are some things in the rules which are a bit 1980s and are a bit old and tired. So I hope they do a good refresh. Um, um, but yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. It's it's the one thing I will be kick-starting kick, kick um, this autumn uh, with, with all the you know, financial situation in the world going on, I am going to have to be a little bit more discriminating about what I buy and what I kick, uh, what I start, what I back. So I'm definitely going to back this um, at the expense of some other things, I suspect. Other things. So as I understand it as well, you said you hope that you do a refresh. I understand that effectively the box contains the original version of the game and... A new Kingmaker 2.0 or something. Like ah, that. Okay, so that's cool. You, you can play it in either way. Um, that's that's really good because thing... my old version is getting a bit tired now. Um, I don't know. I don't know whether it's just like here are two rule sets or whether there's actually mm. different pieces and things like that. The thing I'd like them to improve, having played Kingmaker quite a lot, is um, as you create your army, you put more and more counters in a pile that you move around the map, mm-hmm. and yeah. sometimes it becomes something a bit like Jenga in that you have to move this part of the map without it spilling all over the map. I'd like a slightly more secure way of doing that. Maybe not 
you know, cardboard tokens. I'd like some fancier tokens. Still stackable, of course. I think stacking your army is is one of the great um, great, yeah. great thrills of Kingmaker. Um, but I'd like something a bit more stable for that. I don't think yeah. I ever won a game of Kingmaker, though. Ha <laughs> Now, I think there are rules. So we've had to do some house rules. So there are things like um, uh, sieges, making them less... Um, I'm really struggling for the words today. Boring. Um, boring. Making them less um, black and white. So basically, if you if you mm. besiege a castle and you don't have as many troops as there are inside, you've got no hope of winning. If you've mm. got ten troops more than inside, then you win. So I think yeah. there are there are things like that that would be quite good to change. Um, things like yeah. um, the the card deck for for plagues. In, in towns and cities. So you draw an event at the beginning of the, each round. Sometimes that'll say plague in London or plague in York. Everybody who's in London or York then dies of the plague. But if you've drawn plague in London and you've got the whole pack to go through, everyone then knows it's safe to go and sit in London. Mm. Because you can't get another plague until you go through the deck. Yeah. And so people then camp in London Especially if they're the constable of the tower, because the constable of the tower of London comes with an awful lot of troops in and around London, and you are basically mm. impreg- impregnable unless you choose to come out. And why would you, um, unless you've got an overwhelming military advantage? So I think there are little tweaks yes. like that that would be quite nice to see the new version um, change change that a little bit. But I'm yeah. very ex- I'm very excited. I will be back in this tomorrow. Very excited. I guess because we're a role-playing games magazine uh, show, uh, we have to point out that this isn't uh, the Pathfinder campaign, Kingmaker. But I think probably no, your description of it has yeah. assured people that it's not. <laughs> um, apparently, the Pathfinder campaign has absolutely nothing to do with the Wars of the Roses, which always disappoints me every time I see it advertised. But uh, uh, there we go. There okay. We go. Yeah. Um, I have my own Wars of the Roses game. It's called Game of Thrones. Um, I don't think I'll be getting this one myself. I don't love it as much as you do, but I do Mm. have a nostalgic thrill, so I will play it with you one day. Yeah, that's awesome. If you ever play a board game with me at all, which you never do because you always want to spend the time with me (laughs) role-playing. But there we go. Let's move on. Um, Well, moving on, I I guess we ought to say that um, Draca Octimona is uh, also on Kickstarter. It is. And will be on Kickstarter for um, a few more days when you hear Another, this. Well, it's 14 days at time of recording, which is Thursday the 8th of September. So two more weeks from then. So <clears throat> 22nd of September is, is the closing date. And they're doing very well. Nearly half a million pounds pledged. Way over the goal, as expected. Um, and we had Thomas on to talk all about it. First of all, Thomas, welcome back to the podcast. It's it's great to have you here. Thank you. Good to be back. Now, the last time we spoke was a little over a year ago when you were announcing a Blade Runner. Ago. Of course, that's turned out to be a massively successful Kickstarter. Um, and we've played the preview game. Well, uh, Dave hasn't, but I have, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, so I just thought we might um, kick back to that and think... I'll ask you, how is the final production going on that? Yeah, uh, Blade Runner has been a big part of my year. And uh, mm-hmm. not right now, it's it's uh, being, I think the printing is 
pretty much done. It's uh, now being shipped. Books are being shipped, and it's cool. it's uh, arriving. It's already starting to arrive in some warehouses, but you know it, it, these things take a lot of time. So there takes the time. So that's exciting news for backers. Yeah, so it's it's definitely I mean uh, done in terms of uh, from our perspective, and then now it's it's uh, all about all about shipping it and getting it into the hands of backers and that should have been you know hopefully we're aiming for november as we have been from the start and that's still the plan oh that's good that's good because of course loads of projects have had a bit of a delay um yeah now shortly after that interview in fact almost exactly a year ago you announced your acquisition of Draca octima and i don't know if you remember but we invited you back for an interview to talk about that and mm -hmm. I've got your reply written down here. It says, <laughs> we'll pass on this one. This is a Swedish-only project. <laughs> and we already have enough people asking for a translation, which yes. won't happen. Uh, yeah. I knew he was going to throw that at you. I'm sorry, Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So what that, changed? That... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It... There was a couple of things that changed. I think one of the things that kind of pushed us over the edge on doing an English version was actually already there in my reply that there is a, seems to be... There was a bit of a demand already. Yeah. There was a bit of a demand for it. And, and, and just it, we just felt after a while that, well, okay, so there seems to be people who want this. Maybe we should just try it and see how it goes. Uh, and so eventually we did. I think the other part that happened is that um, we started working on the game and that kind of gets you into that space and it starts, you start, you know, you kind of fall in love with it a bit mm -hmm. and, and, and you start feeling this is going to be a really good game. And then eventually you feel, why, why not do it in English? It's going to be good enough. It, on all, I mean, at least that's what we think. So why, why not? I mean, there were some arguments against it and there are, they're still there, but we felt in the end that, that the, the, the pros outweighed the cons so to speak and and we felt that we could at least take the chance and and see how it goes and that's what we did mm. so obviously the english version is called dragon bane yeah um I kind of wonder why why did you not just go with dragons and demons for the uh for the english version oh we felt there was you know there's another game you might have heard of that is has a very you know slightly <laughs> similar name that might it's nothing like RuneQuest. It's nothing like RuneQuest. No, so Actually, it, like we just thought that would that would present some 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 potential confusion mm. or worse, and we felt yeah. that's just not really going to work. Yeah. Yeah. So you hadn't received a cease and desist order already from hasbro but you don't want to risk getting <laughs> now it's just you know legalities apart it's just too confusing uh, it, i don't think it's a good idea so yeah. we figured it's much better to give it a, a fresh different name yeah cool yeah cool. cool um well we've brought up runequest um now of course mm -hmm. uh those who've listened to our history of swedish gaming podcast that we had people like magnus on and some of the original creatives from 
the first version of Drakark Dumana, they explain to our listeners that that's come out of, I think it was actually Magic World, which was Chaosium's sort of generic version of RuneQuest. Um, yeah. And and that's what the original version of Drakkar Octomona was. Obviously, the yes. Swedes took, um, took ducks to their heart. And so there are ducks in Drakkar Octomona as playable yes. characters. Um, what yes. else do you think in this edition survives from that very first edition? Well, uh, it's it's uh, hard to say. Uh, I, I haven't made the direct comparison, to be honest. I don't even own that for because the first edition of Dark of the Moon came out in 1982, and that was pretty much, as far as I understand, uh, a fairly direct translation of, of Magic World, as as you mentioned. But already that that 1982 edition was not really the one that caught on big in Sweden. There was rather the 1984 edition that, that everybody knows. I mean, I think even people who never played a role-playing game in their life would recognize that black box of, of the 1984 edition because that was the one that kind of exploded and made it... Uh, you know, into every home almost mm-hmm. here. I think that's just a, a little bit of an exaggeration, but not much. It was kind of on a, you know, kind of as common as, you know, Monopoly or, or some oh, of the game right. like that. It was super, super popular for a time. And uh, already in that edition, there were changes made from the 82 edition, both in terms of rules, but also the graphic design. And that's also where the artwork came in. There was uh, this artist, Nils Gullikson, who, whose work is now in, 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 Forbidden Lands, he came in and he kind of set the tone for the game. And a lot of stuff happened in those intervening years. So to be perfectly honest, I know I don't even know how much in our edition remains from that 1982 edition or, or Magic World. I would assume, um, I'm not even sure there were ducks back then in that first edition. <laughs> of course, there are some base mechanics, but they are also quite different because I think the first edition... Uh, I think so. At least the 84 edition definitely was a D100 mm-hmm. percentile system, whereas we use a D20. And the D20 was introduced in Drop the in the so-called expert box that came in 85 or 86, 85, I think. So that was a later edition as well. So yes, there are some core mechanical similarities. Yes, there are. I mean, there, it's a skill-based role under system. That, I think, has kind of survived the whole way through. Uh, but apart from that, I'm not sure, really, to be perfectly honest. I mean, there are some things from the 84 edition of Dr. Warner that I think perhaps have survived in a sense. Uh, there are some spells that are kind of the same. They're, the attributes are not exactly the same. We moved, we removed one out of the seven, so now we have six. Um, but then things that were added on later in the expert edition that introduced the D20 and it introduced heroic abilities, some other things. Uh, that is in our game also. So we have definitely picked things from the early editions, but also added stuff that is from our own making. Either from other games that we were inspired by, our own games, other games, or stuff that's completely new for this edition and as, that we have not, you know, seen or used before. So presumably, trying to keep some of that feel from the old original 1984 game, yeah. you never really thought about going for a year zero engine approach. No, that was never really an option, and that was also one of the arguments against doing an English version because we felt just because. 
that is one of the challenges with Joker Demone that is a, a generic fantasy game at its heart. It, it, it yeah. was always, it was not very setting specific. There were settings developed, but the game was never really about the setting. It was not like the One Ring that is, you know, it's, it's, yeah. you know, it, it, or even Simbroom, which was also very much its setting. This was a generic open fantasy game where you could play any kind of fantasy story that you wanted, kind of. Uh, and that made it a bit difficult to, what when we were doing the new edition, even for the Swedish side, we were, what do we keep? What is actually the kind of the core, the essence of Dr. Moon? Mm. We had kind of nailed that down. And, and one of those things is this kind of, at least the basic rule set or the core mechanics. If we rip those out, there wouldn't be very much left. Mm -hmm. uh, there would be mm -hmm. some things, like maybe I get to that, what we think are specific or you know, unique to, to Dr. Demona and Dragonbane, but that are not the rules. But, but definitely there was a challenge. Uh, and we felt in the Swedish edition, we had to keep that, a version of that uh, original games engine in some fashion at least and that would be a challenge when we do an english version because then perhaps people would say why are you doing this strange d20 thing and not your your sort of engine that mm -hmm. like uh yeah and that has been you know a question but i think most people understand that this is a uh, you know the 10th or 11th edition of, of a game that has uh, a history and and that's why they also the mechanics are a bit different mm. oh, i see that you you, you you've kept the um the option to push a role in this. I'm yes. assuming that <clears throat> I'm assuming that that wasn't part of the original Draco Octomona. No, it wasn't. So that is one of the examples of stuff that we have added in that are more recent, mm. and and of course it can be found in our other games. We added it now as an optional rule, and that is uh, also because there are some you know there are purists uh, mm -hmm. everywhere, and also in in the Draco Octomona you know community for sure. Who, who don't like those kinds of changes and additions to their Dr. Moner and, and then they don't need to use it. We yeah. felt it was not in our first rules drafts, actually. We kind of added it on after a while just to try it out. And we felt it it, it worked in this. This is, of course, a diff it works a bit differently. It doesn't work exactly the same as in in, in uh, Forbidden Lands or, or something like that. But but we felt that in, it 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 made the game more fun uh, when we play tested and mm. we play tested quite a bit and uh yeah so we decided to to go uh, go with that and fun is i think um mm -hmm. it feels reading the rules that fun is a big quotient whereas say forbidden plant <clears throat> forbidden lands is kind of gritty and you're definitely not heroes and you probably won't survive uh this is a game where, that there, although there is risk of death, very real risk of death, um, you're probably more likely to succeed in this game. And I guess especially if you've got pushing as well. Um, and one yes. of the things I noticed, though, is we haven't played a Dave and I yet. Um, Magnus is going to run a game for us tomorrow oh. as we're recording yeah. this. We, it would have right. already happened. I'm saying that to our listeners because you're going to hear this time next weekend. Yeah. <laughs> um, but look on our YouTube channel to see it. To see it. We <laughs> haven't played it yet, um, but I'm going to be playing the duck character in that. And I noticed that his ability requires that the optional pushing role um, is included. The duck's ability yeah. is great because he 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 does better when he gets angry. So um, <laughs> you need to push the dice to get angry. Yeah. 
That is actually something we're looking at because we got some feedback on that. And I think it's a fair point to say that it's it's not ideal to have a, a, a kin uh, ability, which this is. It, it's it's something all the mallards have that 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 uh, to have that be uh, based on an optional rule is not mm -hmm. really ideal. So we'll probably shift that around a bit and, and change it so that it does not require uh, pushing to work. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, you know, it's that's certainly part of the flavor of this game to have you know a very angry duck you know throwing <laughs> fireballs. But yeah, so was yeah, that, it, was that it the is, first uh, thing yes. on your uh, yeah. Yeah. was that the first yeah. thing on your list when you were doing the brainstorming for this angry <laughs> duck <laughs> tick? No, it's it really a bit. It's a it's a it's been a big discussion over here where it comes to Doctor Mourner forever. I think since they were first introduced uh, that you know pro for or against the ducks you know because they do <laughs> they do they do bring a certain tone to the game and if you want a very serious game you might not want ducks running around <laughs> you might just feel and, and but that and we felt we wanted to you know make that it's not a game about ducks but it it to bring those to the you know not 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 hide them away but really kind of make them part of the identity of this game because that sets the tone for a game that is more lighthearted and not so grimdark and and a bit more yeah fun and games and not super super serious which is uh, we have plenty of other games that are super serious like mm -hmm. you know and, and others that I love the serious games too but uh, this is a nice change of pace yeah, you call it mirth and mayhem. Is that is that right? Yeah, we yeah that that's we we threw that in there as some kind of a tagline for the you know the English edition at least because that's we needed something to explain what kind of game this is for mm. the Swedish audience. They don't need that. They know what Doctor Mulder is, so they 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 don't need any further explanation. But for the international side of things we needed some kind of short phrase that could sum up uh well what you know what is this thing and we perhaps that that we, we chose that to to do that so hopefully that sums up the, the style of game fairly well obviously there's going to be a lot of people that have got a long history uh, particularly in sweden of course with draka okdumana um yeah but it strikes me reading the quick start rules, uh, which are available. Uh, anybody can grab them. They're, they're, they're linked to from the Kickstarter. Uh, how long have we got left to run on the Kickstarter? 17 days, it says. It today would, from, that would from be. Recording. Excellent. Yeah. So we'll link to the Kickstarter when we when we put the program out. There'll, there'll still be a week to, uh, uh, least, to bid if yeah. anybody hasn't yet kicked in. Um so yeah, you know, a lot of nostalgia. A lot of people of our generation and and from every Swedish generation, I imagine, who's had contact. But are you hoping to reach newer, younger players with this? Because it strikes me that this is, as you say, it's a classic rule set, but it's also a pretty simple rule set. Is it one that you've particularly said, right? Let's go for people new to role playing games in general, both in Sweden and in the rest of the world. Uh, yeah, I would say that's fair. Definitely. I mean, in, in like you said, in Sweden, it has a lot of, you know, uh, nostalgia connected to it. But we wanted to make this edition not retro nostalgia. And, you know, it's not focused on that. There was a previous edition by another company that came out in 2016 that was very much 
really going into the sort of it was really a retro version that's what they set out to do it had the same exact same cover art as the 84 edition it had the same you know fonts in the text as that edition mm -hmm. uh, you know, so they really wanted to bring out you know all of the nostalgic feelings so we felt that uh we we could not do that again and, and really didn't want to either so we want to create a game that is for yeah it, it kind of you know acknowledges all of this heritage and tradition but also does something new and and hopefully can bring in new players as well and and definitely for the international side that has no relation to this whatsoever we really see this as a as a you know entry point it's it's one of the, it's a game that uh, at a convention or or something where someone comes up and oh you have so much you know different stuff here but where should i start if i never played any of your games where should i start this would be the easy one to to you know start with it's a box set with everything fairly simple rules easy to get into easy to play so yeah this definitely um not is not only for beginners but it's definitely works uh, for for people who haven't played before that is certainly part of the idea So interesting thing, um, you now have quite a lot of fantasy games yes. on your portfolio. Um, and you've obviously gone for Draco Optimora again. Um, obviously, you do feel there's space for all of these different fantasy games on your uh, in your stable. But um, was that a was that a concern in deciding to to, to put this one forward? uh yeah uh absolutely that was also like there was like i mentioned there was a number of reasons for not doing this in, in mm. at least not in english and that was certainly one of them that we already had you know forbidden lands simba room the one ring and the mark Bore. so we, that is was quite busy on the <laughs> fantasy side of things already we felt would we, i mean do we really need another one um uh, and especially since both I mean, both Forbidden Lands and Simbrum actually started out, uh, they have since turned very much into their own things, but I think both of those games actually started out as uh, interpretations of, of Dr. Demona, in a sense. Mm -hmm. I know that Simbrum was the Jan Ringen teens, you know, their homage or, or version or whatever you want of, of Dr. Demona. It, it has some clear references to that, even the... There is a, an, a, a land where the kind of people came from, I think, in Simbrum, which is called Alberator. That's also the name of the previous. Uh, and that is a, a play on words with Arab Altor, which was a campaign word for Dr. Mona. And there, right. there are lots of Easter eggs like that. <laughs> so there is, and we did uh, Forbidden Lands actually has original art from the 1984 edition of, of Dr. Mona. The, the art by Niels Kulikson is from that game. And mm -hmm. we, that was really. We, and there we went to kind of evoke that uh, black and white bit retro feel of the yeah. game. So that was, uh, we really went all in on the aesthetics to bring out that feel uh, of, of, of Dr. Moore as well. At least that, that, you know. So both of those games were very much uh, came out of that, that environment and, and with, that, with that background. But uh, then we felt that these games have now their own audiences. They are, you know, their own niche. They're different. They're, you know, Simbrum is the big campaign game, dark fantasy uh, 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 with, you know, uh, you know, lots to dig into. It's not perhaps the most easy game to get started in, but it's it 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 when once you do, it's a very rich setting and very evocative. But but it's not really a beginner's game per se. 
And Forbidden Lands is, is also quite demanding. It, it, it's quite brutal and it, mm-hmm. it, it's built on, it's a sandbox game that really kind of works best with groups that that have played, have some experience of role-playing games and can kind of make the world their own and, and, and play it. So they're, and they're quite different from each other as well. So we felt this one is, is, is much more, you know, something you can just, Either with beginners or people who have played a lot, but if you just there, you just want to get something onto your table quickly, easy to play online. It, it's fast and fun, and 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 it's it plays quite differently from from the other two, the other two games that I think might be seen as as, as similar. So, yeah, they had they all started out at the same place, had the mm-hmm. same kind of DNA, but they all turned out quite differently. Yeah, ironically, it's probably most similar to Merc Boyer, isn't it, in terms of uh, being fast to play and easy to pick up. But, but Merc Boyer is not yeah. for people under 16, as it says on yeah. the app. <laughs> no, they have very, you know, they, there are some similar similarities with Merc Boyer, definitely. Like you said, the kind of easy, the ease of play, the, the quickness, uh, but the style and tone is, is, on the other hand, quite quite mm. different. Yeah. So was, you don't uh, have I, to burn was... the books when you finish a campaign <clears throat> of Dragon Bay. No, you don't. You can if you want. No. I was I was reading the Merkbor book uh, on holiday last year on a cruise, and you can imagine the kind of people who are tend to be on a cruise and yeah. sitting around the pool. I got quite a lot of funny looks. <laughs> people seeing the cover. What is of the he book. reading? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Which is great. It means they didn't talk to me because I didn't really want to talk to them. So it was good. <laughs> now you mentioned the art from uh, obviously Nils Gullikson in the nineteen eighty four edition. Um, yeah. The art for this edition looks fabulous it's is it all by johan Egerkrans? uh yes i believe all of the art on the kickstarter is from him yes there will be in the finished to complete game some character art by another artist mm-hmm. uh, but i think all of the art now on 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 the kickstarter is by johan Egerkrans. yeah and so it has a very consistent feel across the book and definitely across yeah. the, the kickstarter is uh, sorry, uh, the quick start that people have downloaded. Um, so I just wonder whether in 40 years' time somebody's going to do a Johann Eckergrand's art book and then... Uh... <laughs> maybe, maybe, yeah. <laughs> and then maybe base a game off that. Who can tell? Um, yeah, uh, yeah. So we know before from discussions about Verson that Johann loves role-playing games. Um, yeah. How keen was he when you... Well, did did you have to work hard to to get him on board for doing the, the art for this? You know, I think that's you know for, for for someone like him, it's actually a bit of a struggle because he he you know like you mentioned, he's a big role player. You know, you know has been definitely started. You know, he's the same few years younger than me, but basically the same generation and had that whole connection. Uh, and and isn't you know loves that you know the whole the whole world of of, of role playing games, but he's also a very uh, hotly you know sought after illustrator, one of the major uh, illustrators of you know in Sweden today. So he's mm-hmm. a busy man. So it's uh, more of a so yeah, I think he he it was um, uh, yeah. I mean, so it's it. I think for him, uh, it it can be a bit of a struggle to have time for everything. But but yeah, I think he very much enjoyed doing this one. Cool. Took so convincing to squeeze it into his schedule. <laughs> yeah. So it can. That, you, yeah. you know where his skeletons are hidden. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's worth <laughs> it all for that duck assassin. I've got to say. 
Um, now, you've also, in the Kickstarter, suggested that there's going to be quite a, well, uh, actually a, a Merkboy-like licensing model for this, and that um, pretty much anybody can produce content for uh, Dracar Octomona or Dragon Bane. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Cool. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, there's... Um... We have the community content program on, on Drive to RPG, the free league workshop for most of our other games, and that's great. Uh, but we felt for this one, we wanted to take it a step further. And there are two ways. I mean, the, the one side is that that we wanted this, this we wanted this to be like for the Swedish side, it is that you know the big RPG, or at least it has been, and we wanted to bring it back to that status. And we wanted it to be not just our game, but everybody's role-playing game. And, and we felt it was mm -hmm. you know, a good idea to have a very free and open license that uh, allows others to create content for it and, and even in printed form or whatever form you want to. Because we won't be able to produce enough modules to kind of give everybody the stuff that they want. So, so having an open license and having other creators you know, produce and publish content for it felt like a really good idea. And we wanted to keep it simple for everybody because the, uh, there's not going to be any licensing costs or royalties or anything like that. We just want more stuff to be made mm -hmm. for this game. And that, of course, is good for us too because it means there is more stuff to play with our game. So, so that's that's good. Uh, we'll see. I mean, we I th we decided to, to... We haven't nailed down the details yet of the license, but the idea is to have the same license for the English edition as well on that side i don't know how you know how much uh, will be you know what level of interest there will be for for producing third-party content but i guess we'll we'll see mm. and so yeah i i mean I, I feel that particularly appeals to um surely to swedes who as you say if everybody if every home had a copy of draka archimedia there's a sort of communal sense of ownership of this game and that you're only yeah if you like, freely growing the custodians of the game for a while, looking yeah. after it and helping it grow. So that that feels mm -hmm. really good. Has there been any resentment when you announced it was going to be in English? Was there any comment from Sweden um, saying, hold on, this is our game? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not much. A little bit maybe worry that, I mean, there's, there's some concern from some Swedish players that we do more and more in English and not everything. I mean, we stopped a while back, I mean, for a while, I think almost everything that we did was done in both languages, but that was, you know, in the end, not possible. It's just not doable to do, mm. like, you know, Alien and Blade Runner and Twilight 2000 and everything in, in, in both languages. It's just too much uh, work to, to actually manage that. And, and, and it's just not possible to, to, with that kind of volume of, of different mm. games yeah. and products that we do now to, do them all in in Swedish. It's a small small country, um, but for this, so there was some concern. I think that we when we say we'll do this in English, also that you know this too would be a game that kind of tilted more to the international and the English speaking side. I, I don't think there is much risk of that. I think even though we're the idea is definitely to have exactly the same content in English and Swedish for this one. But I don't think their their worry is is is, is there is much 
cause for 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 concern but but yeah that was the only the only negative reaction i think mm-hmm. most uh, i think most swedish fans just think it's kind of you know nice and fun to see their game you know being discussed and 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 and, and played and mm-hmm. uh, you know by by uh, people around the world i think that's that has been lots of fun discussions because of course people outside of sweden are, are curious about this this strange mm-hmm. game and where it came from and and you know suddenly all of the swedish players they are you know experts on this game they can tell all about it but, yeah i think it's mostly been just you know just a good good uh, good reactions for the most part so it'd be lovely to see other um uh, community content maybe exclusively in swedish of course appearing um would you count as a measure of success for this game that your peers, your fellow publishers in Sweden, um, might put you know really professional content out as well with the Draka Octomona, um, uh, uh, whatever the logo is, the compatibility mm. logo that you create. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we hope so. We we have even. I mean, we had some discussions with some of them. So hopefully, yeah, some of the other. I mean, there's some really good. RPG publishers here, and and yeah, we we certainly hope that uh, some of them will also produce content for for Dr. Warner. I think that could be great for everyone. That'd be brilliant. And I'm just looking mm-hmm. at the Kickstarter now, and you've got over eight thousand uh, backers so far. You're closing yeah. in on actually, I, in in English money, it's it, it's half a million pounds. But um, what are we looking at there? Yeah, so it's over uh, 5.6 million um swedish kroner um yeah is this what you expected because you know you mm-hmm. you've been pretty confident to be honest or you should be pretty confident with your kickstarters after the last few you've had is do you feel this is in line with expectations doing a bit better not doing as much uh, yeah it's always hard to say and and we did this one was tricky because we knew we there would be interest from the swedish side but it was kind of hard to say on the international side of things, what what the reaction would be if it would just be complete, you know, uh, confusion. Squid. Really, what what is this thing, and why why should we care? But so it was hard to say. I think our guesses were around this mark, but that's that that is that is now. I mean that that was get those guesses were for the whole campaign, and mm-hmm. we have what was it, seventeen days to go. So it's it's. I think it's fair to say that it's doing. Uh, even better than we than we than we uh, estimated, and that's 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 a lot of fun. Um, yeah, it's you can see that kind of where backers come from. There's a list for everybody. You can mm-hmm. just click that community, uh, and there you can see that. Yeah, Sweden is number two with two thousand seven hundred twelve backers, and actually yeah, the US is the the biggest. The most number of backers and the UK is, is third. So it's mm-hmm. you know definitely people from you know all over. Has there been has there been any concern from the the fan base that uh yeah, I guess um, what's the right word I'm looking for? Um anxiety that it might not be as good as they would want it to be. And I, I don't know how the 2016 edition landed, how well that was uh you know taken by the community. Right. I mean, there's always with a game like this, with a lot of tradition, it there is also a lot of opinions. I mean, there's always, <laughs> yeah. always, always just look at what's happening now with the, you know, the 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 uh, rings of power. You know, there's 
you know, yeah, there's there's yeah. something that people have so much investment in. They're also going to have a lot of opinions about of, <laughs> of all kinds. So yeah, there's. Uh, I think there was, uh, you know, definitely some concern, and 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 uh, and and even now there are, of course, all kinds of opinions, and and the discussions have been quite intense in some areas. I think perhaps even you know, mostly on the Swedish side, also on the international, but there there's less investment in this. So I think there's. You know, but overall, it's been received pretty well. Uh, I think it's fair to say, even though, of course, there are some people, some some fans who would want to see a completely different Dorkenemore. That would be, you know, so and and that will always be the case with a yeah. game like like this. There's always, you know, my dream Dorkenemore uh, would be that, and and now they're doing this. So I'm not happy. <clears throat> you always get some measure of of that, and that's completely. Yeah completely understandable all we can do is kind of present what we want to do and be clear about that so we don't you know you know we don't present a, you know a picture of this game and then when it comes out it's something else something different mm. from what we said it would be i think that's the only mistake apart from that i think we just need to be true to our vision and of course try to bring on as many you know fans as we can but still not not to be uh, still staying true to what we think think and feel this game should be well that's brilliant thomas i think i've run out of questions dave do you have any more yeah i think that's that's it for me as well um i was trying to think of lots of duck questions but we probably had loads of those anyway (laughs) so uh, no it looks great and um thanks for coming on the show again thomas it's always a delight having you uh having you with us um yeah and all the best i mean it's doing well it's going to do well um it looks lovely I can't wait to play it tomorrow. Uh, Great. Have fun. Yeah. Cool. Cheers. Thanks, Thomas. Thank you. So we enjoyed a game of Dragon Bane only two days ago at the time of recording. uh, And we streamed it online so you can see it on YouTube. And I've just put half of it on our actual play podcast channel. Um, and the other half will will carry on next week. Um, what did we think, Dave? Um, well, firstly, I thought it was great of Magnus Setter, who uh, who uh, volunteered to GM it for us. It was great for him to do that, and he's uh, the first time of he's GM'd for me, and it was great fun. He's a uh, he's a really good, very thoughtful and descriptive GM. It was a real pleasure playing the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for me, I think it was a game of two halves actually. So the first half. I really enjoyed getting into the characters and I really enjoyed talking about them. I liked the way the simplicity, you know, the really simple way that, you know, your character's abilities and your stats uh, are are made really clear. Um, the idea of having a couple of effectively talents that are powered by willpower was great. I liked that. And the ones that I had were very applicable to the scenario we were playing. I Bloody think... powerful yours were. In fact, I'm going to check out the rules now because I, I felt, I felt, uh, a little bit um, uh, jealous of yours. Well, I think <clears throat> the um, the starter scenario from the quick start that we were playing um, definitely favoured some of our characters rather than others in terms of what they could use and what abilities they could bring to play. For example, I think um, our friend Mohammed, who was playing the elf, yeah, because we were underground, I think all of his special abilities didn't apply. He couldn't use them. 
And mm. so that's a bit disappointing if you were playing that character because you then couldn't get to use your, your abilities. Whereas for my character, I was playing the Wolfkin, which actually was great fun. Um, both of mine were, um, were combat, largely. Mm. One, of them, one of them allowed me to track uh, an enemy, but it also allowed me to then spend willpower to gain a, a, a boon, which is basically advantage in D&D. So you roll an extra D20 and keep the best score. Um, so actually, I was able to do that quite a lot. I burnt through a lot of my willpower points, and it allowed me to hit the Death Knight bloody hard a couple of times. Um, yeah, you know what? I'm thinking you're reading the rules wrong on that one. Because I was surprised, because you got a boon for a single willpower point. So let me let me um, read it. So as my, often my, as you said it. So my, my hunting instinct says it's three points. Um, a wolfkin, you can use its ability to detonate a creature in sight or a creature you want to track. This counts as an action. You can follow the scent of your prey for a full day and you can then spend further willpower to gain a boon for an attack against your prey. So there's nothing that says I can only do it once. Well, it says a further willpower to gain a boon. So, uh, I mean, you know, I'm, uh, so maybe I could I'm, I'm not getting it at once. you here in this one <clears throat> no, because no, no, we're no. all learning the game. But I was thinking I get... I have to spend three willpower points for my talent, which also gives me a boon in an attack, but only when I'm re-rolling, having, um, uh, having you know, spent, got angry. So I've got three, oh, will, yes. three willpower yeah. points plus a cost of, you know, a condition for a one-time only, because I can only get angry once, effectively, a one-time only boon. And I was a bit jealous of you seemingly then paying, you know, an extra will point almost every attack having tracked him. I'm not I'm not blaming you for this one, but I thought, mm, I'm feeling a little bit unfair mm. here. Yeah. And I, um, it, it is slightly ambiguous. So the way I read it, it just felt to me that if I spend an extra willpower whilst I've got hunting instincts on this guy, I can then get an extra mm. get an extra boon. You're right, it might not it might not be that. If we look at the proper rules, then that might be just once per target possibly. Yeah. And of course, this is the sort of thing. There's already a, a new version of this, and I'm reading the very first version. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, but I think the point I was making version. right at the start was that I really enjoyed getting into the character. Um, his, uh, his his kind of little sort of peccadillo was that he often he has really nice clothes and wears fragrant perfume. and has got a little perfume bottle, and so I yeah, really enjoyed. I, love that. I really enjoyed that, Good. and you know, it was obviously the smell of an alpha male wolfkin. So you guys didn't like the smell of it very much. So I, I loved all of that and the simplicity of it. And I got into my character very quickly once I printed off my character sheet and just had a quick look at it. Really liked it. Really liked it. So I think there's a lot going for it in that sense. And you know, and Thomas was talking about making it easy to access, easy to get in quickly and just simple to, to learn and crack yeah. on. And I think it does that. Certainly with his quick start rules, the way we played it, it does that really well. I like that very much. Absolutely. Yeah. But you said it was a game of two halves. Yeah. I feel so, there's a but coming. So the second half is what I feel happens with a lot of games that are, are um, you know, hit point based games where you've got a lot of abilities and combat is quite a, a you know, a, a focus of the game. So D&D suffers from this. Um, and I felt <clears throat> that the game we had of Dragonbane suffered, which is combats can become a huge slog. Mm. So we were fighting a death knight to begin with. He was quite hard because he had good armor and he had a 
obviously a um, a, a a invulnerability to normal damage, which basically meant he took less damage. So we had to hit yeah, him a resistance. lot. Yeah, a resistance. Yeah. So we had to hit him a lot to put him down the first time, and it you know and and you know it just became a slog. It's like you know, there's five players. You know, you have a hit, you have a hit, you have a hit, and then you know he has a hit. Okay, I've lost half my hit points. He's lost a load. Okay, I'll hit him again. And it, it, it didn't have the unpredictability that I think you get from things like Forbidden Lands and other freely games like, um, you know, Coriolis, for one, where, where death can happen very, very quickly if you're unlucky. So it just felt very much like that kind of... Bang, 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 and then wait mm. to see who falls down first. So I, we, you know, we talked about it after the after the scenario. Um, even Magnus felt that that last fight became a bit of a slog, um, and I think that maybe the scenario itself almost makes it inevitable that fights going to become a bit of a slog because of the creatures you're fighting. One's a ghost and one's a death knight. The death knight comes back after you kill him anyway, so it becomes a bit of a grind. And so maybe if they'd used yeah. different creatures in that quick start, it might have given it a very different sense and feel for that for that particular uh, scenario. Now, remember, we did take a shortcut with the quick start. And as usual, Dave, it's your fault we took the <sighs> Innovation, <laughs> that's what it is. Innovation. You're obviously meant to see the target and go exploring, but you can't get to the target through the portcullis. And you innovated. And to be fair, that uh, that style of adventure where, you know, uh, effectively you're, you, it's like playing a computer game where you, you can't go into that zone yet until you've done the other thing. And so you can see where you want to go, but you simply can't climb over the small yeah. pile of wood, given you've been mountaineering uh, <laughs> yeah, a little I while ago. But no, you can't get over this pile of wood. Yeah. Um, and so that, you know, that I feel is a kind of fault with the with the adventure, but no, you know Magnus obviously responded like any modern GM would, and when you said, "But I'm really strong," no, seriously, really strong, can't yeah. I? And it's old and rusted, can't I? And so you know he 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 gave us um, a way of doing things, and then you know things kicked off. I wonder whether there were other smaller beasties that we could have got to, so that would have been the slog at the end, and even though he comes back. He wouldn't have come back then because we'd have done the whole thing and we'd have killed him in the end. It would be a terrible thing. We'd have got Possibly, the treasure yeah. and gone out of there. Um, I, I do think there is something on the scenario design anyway, though, because if you've mm. got the Death Knight and the Ghost to fight at the end, which could become a bit of a slog, just killing off some easy minions first doesn't make that slog any less of a slog at the end of the game. Um, so I, I... I don't know. Um, I... I mentioned earlier about um, how many times, how much Kickstarter backing I can do. I think for me, this one, I mean, as much as I love it and I have really enjoyed it and the artwork is great, uh, it's another one that would look beautiful on my shelf. I'm probably going to have to resist this time simply because of budget, I think, really. And there's probably other things I would spend my money on when I'm not in a position to splurge like I might have been in yeah. the past. To be honest, um, I don't need another fantasy role-playing game. 
No, um, there is that too. I I seriously don't, and I don't even need another one from the guys at Free League because I love, love, love Forbidden Lands. Yeah, it got me, me back into fantasy. I really want to play the One Ring. Uh, we've enjoyed Simba Room. That's my least favorite of the games, but it's still great. I love it. Um, I don't need another one. And this, yeah. you know, there's some lovely illustrations in here, and it is a really simple thing. But as you said earlier on, and it brings nothing new to the world of role-playing, and it's not meant to. It's meant to be a nostalgia kick for Swedes. It's meant to be an easily accessible game for newer, younger players to get into. It works in all those regards. But for you and me, over 50, happy birthday, by the way. Sorry, <laughs> I almost you. missed it. Um, That's all right. That's okay, in, pal. Fuck you. Uh, you know, us old farts, we don't need this game, I think. <clears throat> no, I think, and particularly not not when we've got Forbidden Lands, because I think Forbidden Lands does does what I want in a fantasy game, and it does it better, particularly in the in the combat side, where you know, combat is a lot less predictable how it's going to turn out. We go into fights in Forbidden Lands really worrying about how we're going to come out of them. And we yeah. run a, we run away quite a lot. You run away a lot, <clears throat> or we we see a big monster. Um, yeah, you know, for example, when we were we were meeting the the one eyed giant Scrom, we we thought mm. about attacking him, but we mm. decided that probably there might be a better way of getting getting around the problem and getting him as a friend rather than as an enemy. And yeah, you know, I I think in D anD D or in Dragonbane we might have just gone charge. Um, yes. Whereas I think for the the unpredictability of combat in Forbidden Lands makes you think, really think twice about how you deal with a situation. And running away is fun. I ran away from a yes. death knight in Forbidden Lands. In this game, I kept hacking him. I kept hitting him. Yes. Um, and that may be. That so may one of the things about that, difference. of course, is uh, the disadvantage of hit points, because you can take mm. as many hit points. As you as as you have until you have one left, and still be as strong as you were when you started the fight. Yeah. Whereas in Forbidden Lands, that ain't the case. No, and you really feel um, it. You feel. I mean, taking any yeah, hit on my str- on my strength, um, yeah, mm. which is my key attribute for being a warrior, is is a big. It's a big deal. Even losing one or two dice, you know, that's a very big deal, and um, you feel that as a player, and I love that. Because it makes you think much harder about these things, and and the fights tend to be shorter as well, yeah. Which I think yeah. is a good thing for me. But no, absolutely, I mean, absolutely. But Dragonbane looks lovely. I think it will. It, it played really nicely. I really enjoyed playing it. It will appeal to a lot of people. It obviously already has, considering how much backing it's got. So I, I wouldn't want anyone who's tempted not to back it on the basis of what we're saying, but I just think it's a different beast to uh, to Forbidden Lands. It's more in the, the, the Dungeons & Dragons style, I guess, inevitably, mm-hmm. because that's kind of where it came from, um, than, than Forbidden Lands. Um, I Magnus, though, has offered to run another adventure for us when the full rules come out, and I'm very happy to invite him back. Uh, absolutely. And we'll too. play that adventure. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Yep. And I will play in anybody's game. Just because I'm not buying it myself doesn't mean I wouldn't play it. Um, and when Magnus comes back, um, I'm going to play the same character. I love my duck as you love your wolf. I, I know, would like to play... Simple ba- details. Yeah, I would like to play Baston Bloodjure again. Um, it's cool. a character I like very much, yeah. I don't but know. My <clears> duck <throat> I mean, will be armed... Sorry, go on. 
with a new sword, of course. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I thought about getting And that sword, sword's but... name, I've just looked that up. The sword's name is Fiendcarver. Um, and it's, uh, as far as I can see, it, it's magical. So it, it, it did the damage on, on, on the creature that it was on resistant to for everybody the else. The ghost, yeah. Uh, uh, but I don't think it's, it's any better than a normal sword. I'm not entirely sure because we, we don't have the stats. But it does 2d8 damage, which I think is normal. Don't give you any bonus to hit or anything. No. But it does glow red within, within 10 meters of a demon. And so that's my sword. <laughs> well, you'd think being within 10 meters of a demon, you might recognize as a demon there anyway. It's yeah. quite close. It's like, <laughs> well, we may have had, uh, yeah, yeah. You're, you're lying on yeah, the ground dead with this demon having torn your heart out. Oh, but your sword's glowing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. okay. No. Right. It's good. So that's the end of this episode, isn't it? it and is. let's just say one more thank you to uh, Thomas uh, for yeah. coming in and explaining why he wouldn't talk to us before we changed. <laughs> yeah. Always great to have Thomas um, on the show. And um, yes, I, you know, I'm, I'm delighted that Draco Octomorna is coming out in English. Um, yeah. Because there's obviously a lot of people there who are going to really enjoy it. And that's great. What are we cool. doing in two weeks' time? I have no idea. I have an idea. Um, I did mean actually to check this with Millie beforehand, but um, Millie has been designing games on the sly and has got a best-selling game on uh, not the Free League Workshop, but on direct actual um, drive-through. Drive-through. It's based on Year Zero, and we Cy- should invite Cy- her to Camp. come and talk about SciCamp. I think that's yeah, a great idea. Exactly. I think that's a that's, see. That's good thinking, so Batman. Let's see if we can get it in for an interview over the next couple of weeks. And um, cool. We'll do that. That sounds Plus great. Plus talk about other stuff. Yeah, of course. But that's a great idea. Um, yeah, so all, all that's left to do is for us to invite Thomas to sign the uh, sign off for us. Um, yeah, but just before After that... After we'd uh, say goodbye. Goodbye for me. And it's goodbye from him. And cue Thomas. May the icons bless your adventures. You have been listening to The Effect Podcast, presented by Fiction Suit and the RPG Gods. Music, stars on a black sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing.